Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2023. We're looking forward to a fantastic year here at Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got great guests lined up and just really excited about this year, and we hope you are too. We are broadcasting live today from the Tucker Milling Studios, and this is, I did a little bit of research over the holiday season, this is the longest-running poultry podcast in the world. This is our 15th year um, of, of broadcasting this podcast, which really started as an online radio show. Actually, before that, it started for approximately six months on Atlanta AM radio, uh, and then it was transferred over to a podcast, but we are very limited with sponsorships doing a local AM radio in the Atlanta area. So we did a lot of research and figured out how to do broadcasting live through the radio show. And then, of course, turning that into a podcast for all the folks that love to listen in their car on the way home from work or while they're doing dishes or whatever the case may be that may not be able to listen live at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Thursday, and we're we're looking at maybe changing that time up a little bit, uh, which shouldn't mess up too much of our regular listeners, because by far the majority of them, and there's thousands, uh, listen to the uh, after-recorded podcast. So as far as the live show goes, I don't anticipate changing the time. And we're, we're playing around with that with our regular guests like Dr. McRae and uh, Dr. Pateski and uh, Dr. Gehring and, and others. But we're really looking forward to this year, and I hope you are too. We have a great show lined up for you today, Poultry Research Translated. It's one of my favorite shows that we do here on the podcast uh, for many reasons, but we've been doing this for many years. Dr. McRae may, uh, actually not may, I think she is the uh, oldest regular guest we have here on the show, not by age, but by how long she has been coming on the show. And it's well over, let's see, this is our, we're going into our 15th year of doing this podcast. And I show she's probably been with us for uh, uh, 13 of those years, maybe stretching into 14. Now, I may have to go back and look at the very first show that she did uh, way back when. So we're so proud to have her. She's also a contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine, as all of our radio show guests are, are our radio show expert guests. And the magazine is going to continue as well. We're looking forward to that this year with uh, Backyard, uh, the Chicken Whisperer Magazine. And that's going to be exciting. Uh, you can subscribe to that totally free, folks. If you're a new listener, um, it's been free for the last eight or nine years. i got to look that date up. I forgot to do that free show uh, to see how long we've been doing the magazine. But let's just say eight years with the, with the uh, publication of Chicken Whisperer magazine. And 
you can subscribe to the digital edition uh, absolutely free. There's no catch. We're not going to email you after three months and say, oh, uh, your subscription's expired. Now you need to actually purchase the print edition to have it delivered to your door, which, by the way, is only $9.95 a year. And then you can have a catalog of all the years of the magazines that we've done uh, as they come to you. But you can read every single there's, – there's nothing taken out. It's the exact same thing as the print, and you can read all of that um, at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. That's chickenwhisperermagazine.com. So we're so, so excited to have you on today. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to go to commercial break. It'll be very short, and we got to uh, – uh, pay tribute to wonderful sponsors that we've had over the years. When we come back, I've got some chickens in the news. We haven't done that segment in quite a while. And uh, to start off 2023, I've got three good articles, and I'm glad Dr. McRae's uh, called in here on time because there may be a few things that uh, I actually can't pronounce, some diseases and whatnot. So I hope, but I'm going to do my best. We'll see how I do. There's one or two that's like, uh, help me out here. Blah, 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 blah. So, but we've got uh, three articles that we're going to do from from around the globe. United States, I think one's from Australia, I think one's from, I want to say Finland. So we've got some news from all over the globe regarding the keeping of backyard chickens, which we all love, and that's why you're tuning in. So um, we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back right after this. Stay with us, folks. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Strong Animals uses plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Our daily snacks, water additives, and coop refresher products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to promote digestive health and immunity. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals products. Available at local farm stores across the country and Amazon. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today to learn more. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 
35 plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I'm checking to see if I had any uh, pertinent news I wanted to cover in my email real quick. I just got buzzed, but it was not anything I wanted to share in the show, so not a problem. I'm going to go right to the phone lines, and we're going to bring our good friend on, uh, poultry scientist Dr. McRae. So, uh, we can go through my three very, very briefly chickens in the news articles that we came up with. Uh, and then she's going to go through poultry science translated, which again, I love. She'll take poultry science and studies and research that's been done. Uh, and then she'll basically translate it for uh, us dummies so we know and can understand what the heck it's talking about. Then we can decide whether we want to implement some of that with our own backyard flock. So, as soon as I hear the beep, there it goes. Hi. Hello, Dr. McRae. Thanks for joining us today. November 12, 2009. <laughs> you have the date. That's so fantastic. <laughs> so that's that's um So that was the first time. day I came on your show. That is amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's just crazy. Um, I just can't. So Nobody how long would have, have ever. You been doing the show fifteen years. So... This is two thousand. Yeah, the be uh, the February, uh, and I can go and probably find the date. Uh, February of two thousand nine. So nine, ten, eleven, twelve, three, four. Five, <gasps> yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. amazing. It was that February, and that was that was actually we started doing live AM radio in the morning every Saturday morning at nine AM uh, AM in Atlanta. We did that for about six months. They started turning it into a podcast and putting it on their website, and then. Um, I did get some sponsors for that, but obviously, if you're just broadcasting, well, you went right the, into tractor supply, if I remember. What um, about that deal with tractor supply? Let me see. You're Actually, Purina was for them, though. Purina was first, and we did Purina okay. for a short while. Yeah, that's okay. And then, it, you know, it's kind of funny. It, we, <laughs> we're getting so old. It's funny when that was that was so long ago that the best way I can describe this, and I'm not burning any bridges here, not going to make anybody mad by saying this, but that was so long ago, uh, and that the very first hatching, if you will, of the backyard poultry movement, the, the new one, not the one back in the 30s and 40s when everybody was doing this anyway, and the government was saying, hey, raise your own flock for wartime, whatever, victory gardens, kind of the rehatching of this. And and um, I didn't stay at, at Purity very long because – just didn't get it. They were so so tied in with horse uh, and dog and cat, different things like that, uh, that they just, you know, they we worked for a while, but they just didn't really get this this poultry, the backyard poultry movement at the time. And of course, now we know everybody does. But and then of course there was 
uh, Mana Pro, and then there was uh, Tractor Supply, and then uh, Kambach, and then now, so happy to be with Tucker Milling. In fact, uh, long-time listeners know I've said this a million times. You're going to get tired of me hearing it, but I think it's very valid. Tucker Milling is the only um, uh, feed sponsor that I've ever been with where I approached them because I saw firsthand the results I was getting with all my livestock, the cows, the chickens, the goats, the pigs, the goats, hogs, guys say everything, rabbits, um, and I said, hey, we like this stuff. We need to go and talk to them and, and get a relationship going. The rest of the folks just kind of said, here, we'll give you this money if you'll talk about us and be a sponsor, uh, but not totally opposite uh, with Tucker Milling. I'm so proud to, to be with them. But, yeah, it's, 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 been a, it's been a great road, and I can't – who would have thought back then, 15 years later, we'd be sitting here. And, you know, we started – Every Saturday, then we started kind of once a week with the podcast online. Then we were doing every day. We were doing Monday through Friday. Yeah. And it was just a 30-minute, 45-minute show so people could, you know, uh, stop during work, have their lunch at their desk, and have have just a break, a middle break uh, where they can eat a sandwich, have some chicken salad, if you will, (laughs) and um, and tune into the the show during their lunch break. And we did that. That was way crazy. And we uh, we did that for a while. And then we went back to kind of a once a week type of deal and um, well over 1,200 episodes total in the last uh, 15 years. So, and more than that, because some were deleted because of sound issues uh, or irrelevant content or different things. Or maybe it's just a bad show. Content was bad. We kind of got rid of that. But right now, published over 1,200 episodes. So we're, we're excited and very proud of that. And thanks to you and all our other wonderful expert guests that come on and educate all of us about keeping our backyard birds healthy. And actually, the three news stories I have, and hopefully if they if they cross over with something you have found, I just won't do mine. We'll just have you do yours. Um, so I'm just going to click on the first one we did here from uh, from Ag Week. And it was uh, – when I first saw this, I, I just thought for sure it was going to be another article about backyard chickens and salmonella. I just thought just because of the headline in bold. Backyard farmers, beware, your chickens may make you sick. And then I was like, oh, it's salmonella. And I'm like, it's a little early for the yearly salmonella outbreak to occur. Normally it happens a few weeks after Easter. It normally starts when all the baby chicks get into the big box stores and people start buying them. And then all the folks, especially the inexperienced folks, that buy them around Easter. And then after Easter, normally the CDC comes out with, uh, hey, we have this outbreak, however many people have been sick. So I thought it was going to be about that. But this is a little bit different. This comes to us, let's see, from, is this from, I think this, yeah, from Finland. Um, This is very interesting and no surprise to us, but I still thought it was going to be about salmonella. Backyard chickens that people keep for eggs and as pets may also offer humans other less savory bounty bacteria that can cause diarrhea, cramping, abdominal pain, and potentially fatal infections, a Finnish study suggests. Researchers swabbed the bottoms of 457 birds living on 50 backyard chicken farms. So let's see, that's probably about, uh, let's see, eight, nine, Let's just say nine birds per flock average, you know, based on these 50 backyard farms that they used in Finland. So they swabbed 457 birds, and they also tested boot socks from their human owners. Okay, it doesn't say boots, boot socks. That's interesting. Well, boot socks might be a, a sampling cover? method. Yeah, something oh, okay. that you, you put over your galoshes that you walk around mm-hmm. on the property, and it picks up 
whatever you would pick up on the tread of your boots. Makes sense. Okay. Oh, I see. Gotcha, gotcha. Just to see what you're tracking around. Okay, you're back in your yeah, house. Yeah, so it's actually. called a boot sock because you put it around the outside of oh, your, your boot, boot, but you put it, you, you sample sure. with your footwear. Like we would like Could call them booties that. probably, right? We call them booties, PPE, well, no, protective no, booties. It's, it's, um, you know what a surgical shoe cover is? Your, your doctor yeah, exactly. wears them. In the... Some people call them booties. So, yeah, exactly. It's something like that. It's kind of okay. like the study I did when I was a student here at Auburn. Um, we did something similar to that. Cool. But, yeah. They, they found – oh, excuse me, often. i got, got to get that. They often found the bacteria of – Campylobacter, is it jejuni? Yeah. Okay, Campylobacter jejuni and Listeria monocytogenes, or is it genes? Monocytogenes. Okay, gotcha. See, that's why I had you here, because you have the letters behind your name and I don't. Both of which can <laughs> trans, both bothersome as well as potentially more serious infections to humans. Most commonly, the bacteria found from these chickens can cause uh, self-limiting gastrointestinal symptoms, but rarely uh, they can also cause life-threatening infections. It says the good news, this is interesting, the good news is researchers didn't find much evidence of sal salmonella intrica, in, in, intrica? No, it doesn't say, I would have known that in enteritis, but this one's E-N-T-E-R-I-C-A. Maybe it's a form of that. Oh, enterica. Yeah. Enterica. enterica. There you go. A common source of food poisoning, often traced back to chickens and eggs, um, are they didn't find much of uh, Yersinia pseudo tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. It's a Y E R. Yersinia. There it is. Yersinia pseudo tuberculosis. Uh, uh, huh. Tuberculosis. Other bearer of foodborne illnesses that can come from chickens. So I'm going to leave it there. People can go look this up. Um, uh, ad week because uh, that was from Finland talking about uh, swabbing the feet of, and just because we always talk and preach biosecurity here all the time we have for those long 15 years so I wanted to share that with folks just especially for the new folks going hmm yeah I may not want to uh, go out and take care of my chickens and then walk right into my living room with the same shoes that I had on outside right. so absolutely um, here's another interesting one now this is nothing new I reported on this in fact I kind of broke this. Um, Gosh, it was 10 years ago, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I dropped the bomb, <laughs> baby. Now, and, and actually, CDC reached out to me, and this is what I told them. I said, I remember this very vividly. I was like, you know, if you can provide we with more, because I don't want to be, you know, chicken little, the sky's falling type of deal. Um, it's like, I would be more than happy to share this, educate it, have you come on, talk about it, if you can give me more, more, not evidence, but more reason to, to really do so. I mean, how many people are getting affected? This is probably a decade ago, and it has to do with um, lead levels in eggs from backyard chickens. And it looks like this uh, has reared its ugly head again, but this time in Australia. Um, and, and we followed that story for a long time because <clears throat> a mom took her young children, they were preteen, uh, to the doctor. They just routine blood tests, whatever, and they came back super, super high in lead. I mean, crazy lead. And we followed that because for, for many months it went on in the news, and they were talking, well, maybe it was coming from the commercial food they were using, maybe around the house, da-da-da-da-da. I think at the end of the day, back then, the CDC wanted to just share with folks 
ways that they're backyard chickens and to look out and try to prevent them from having a higher lead content from like uh, if you if you keep chickens from a house that was built back when they used lead paint or you have a barn back there that was built in lead paint and they're scratching around picking up you know paint chips that type of thing but apparently like this article says just in general there can be high lead content out there in the ground where chickens are scratching and picking up food um, and it can be different all over the country so this comes to us from the Guardian uh, eggs from Australian intercity backyard chickens found to contain concerning levels of lead. More than half the eggs analyzed exceeded food safety threshold with specific regions of Sydney, Melbourne, and uh, let's see, it's uh, Brisbane. Wow. Um, deemed most and at risk. So it says... There's nothing like the fresh eggs from your own hens. The more than 400,000 Australians who keep backyard chickens will tell you. Unfortunately, it's often not just freshness and flavor that set their eggs apart from those in the stores. Our newly published research found, and you can click on that, by the way, this article, uh, found backyard hens' eggs contain, on average, ready for this, more than 40 times the lead levels of commercially produced eggs. Um, almost one in two hens in our Sydney study had significant lead levels in their blood. Uh, similarly, about half the eggs analyzed contain lead levels that may pose a health risk concern for consumers. I'll post these over on the Chicken Whisperer page so folks can go read them because I want to get to your content. Um, but I always try to do, uh, I have in the past, try to do some chicken uh, chickens in the news. But I will post all three of these over on the Chicken Whisperer Facebook page for people to to talk about. And, and on the further in the article, it does say that um, most leads get into the hens as they scratch the dirt and peck from the ground. It says, we assess trace metal contamination in backyard chickens and their eggs from garden soils across 55 Sydney homes. We also explored other possible sources, such as animal drinking water and chicken feed. And I know they did that like a decade ago. I think it was up in Washington State when these kids that all of a sudden had these high levels of lead, and they traced it back to the backyard chickens and da 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 da, da. So that was another one. I'll share that one with uh, on the Facebook page. And last but not least, this comes to us here. Uh, from the good old USA, and everybody who's tuning in, especially new listeners, are like, okay, I love my backyard chickens, and I love this hobby, and everything's great, and the first three chickens in the news topics are all about these bad things that can happen from my backyard chickens. What is he doing? I don't like this show. <laughs> but, you know, hey, it's the good and the bad and the ugly, and it's all about education here uh, and, and science as well. So this comes to us from the Wilkes Journal Patriot in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Another backyard flock has high path avian influenza. And it says a backyard chicken flock in Onslow County has tested positive for high path avian influenza. The New York Carolina Department of Agriculture announced on December the 8th. So this is a little while ago. The positive sample was identified by the Department of Agriculture in their lab in Raleigh. It's the first confirmed positive in Onslow County. Uh, in late spring and early summer, however, High Path was found at nine poultry farms in Johnston and Wayne counties. Recently, High Path was found in a single backyard flock in Wake County and a single backyard flock in Durham County and two flocks in Union County. It says we have obvious evidence that High Path avian influenza virus has remained in our residential uh, wild bird population and in migratory waterfowl. So reports of backyard positive flocks are unfortunate but not surprising. 
um, state veterinarian Mike Martin said, and at the end, it's not a very long article. It basically says what we've been saying here for a long time. Just do your due, due diligence uh, to, to implement good biosecurity at your farm. You know, I was national spokesperson for 10 years with USDA, and that's what I focused on. And I get it. I was so honest when we did our speaking engagements, like, look, here are these books. Here's what it says to do. I know, because I'm as human as, as you are, you're not going to do them all. You're not going to do everything it suggests. But please read through it and pick two, three, four things. The more, the better. But it, it, even if it's one thing, that's another step towards your biosecurity plan, whether it's not wearing the same shoes to the to into into your coop as you wear inside or to the feed store and back or you know because I don't know a single soccer mom that's going to stop at the car wash and wash her wheels and tires before she goes home from the feed store. It's just not going to happen. But so so look at these things that you can do for your backyard security. Um, a backyard biosecurity plan and implement a few of them. We know you're not going to do all all. I don't do them all. So, um, cause we're just, we're just human. We have lives to live and, and things like that. But the more you can do, obviously the better. Uh, so Andy, uh, I, you said you Mike know. Martin, Dr. Mike Martin is the state vet for North Carolina. Let me see what we've got here. Um, yes. Veterinarian Mike Martin, uh, state veterinarian. Oh my gosh. He I guess was you know a lab him. next door to mine when I was a student at UC Davis. He's a cool <laughs> dude. That? He is. He's a cool. He used to bike to work. He used to bike everywhere. He biked across town every day. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. You'll have that to give him a holler. Poultry. It yeah, really is. Oh yeah, I'm gonna totally be like, what's up? <laughs> well, well, it's like that's cool. When you, it's like when you and I visited, we, we both visited a, a lot. I've gone by myself. You've gone by yourself. But when we both visited, we, we, every year we experienced this. But, you know, all the people you see at I, in Atlanta, IPPE in Atlanta, um, it's like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen you in years. Or, hey, what are you doing now? Or, oh, my gosh, look, there's there's John Metzger. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to yes. be here. They're <laughs> just running into people. You're like, hey. Oh, my yeah, God. I ran into uh, uh, Eric Stromberg. You know, in, in, in one of the uh, water waterer stations, I think you were with me at that point. It is why I hadn't. I don't. In fact, we had, he had been a sponsor for a I long time. I ran into him. Yeah, at um, at another conference earlier this year. Was, ugh, to, yeah, when it comes to poultry, it's a small world. <laughs> yep, it's awesome. So, gotta love it. <laughs> so anyhow, let's um, um, let's let's hear what you brought to the show today. We're anxious to hear. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that was a uh, quite the aside. Sorry about that. No <laughs> um, I, you know, sometimes I come across articles that may or not be may or may not be exactly for backyard flock owners, but it's just cool information. And that's the first article I wanted to share with everyone. Um, yeah. It's when these researchers in where were they from? They were from Norway. So they looked at aviary housing for laying hens. And aviary housing is where they can kind of, you know, move around and flutter around. They're not in cages, okay? Right. And so, you know, they just kind of did a, what looks like it was just a revisit. Why? These are for, these some, are for layers. For layers, right? Yeah. For broilers? Yeah. Okay. Layers that are at the end of their laying cycle. Okay, mm-hmm. so why do some of these chickens die? So they went to a whole bunch of flocks. Um, like these chickens were 
65 to 70 weeks. And if a chicken died while they were there, they went to 48 different flocks. If a chicken died while they were there, they opened them up to figure out why. So they okay. got, a, got a total of 482 chickens, opened them up, and they, they categorized why that chicken died that day. Um, because, you know, as a chicken gets older, it's not the same physiologically as a chicken that just starts to go into labor. It's a young chicken, okay? So they wanted to see if there was a reason why some of these chickens were were dying towards the end of their laying cycle. Um, And so, you know, these weren't beak-trimmed chickens. They were all at the end of the lay. They were in multi-tier aviary systems, and they found Mm -hmm. out that there was essentially four most common reasons why they died. And so the pathological lesions were heel bone fractures. 92% of the birds had keel bone fractures, okay? So no matter what you do, whether you've got your chickens that are in cages and so they don't flutter around and flap about, or you've got chickens that have more opportunities to move around, those bones are more brittle towards the end of their cycle before they go into a molt. And so for them to fracture that keel bone just means that as your hens age, as they get to the end of their laying cycle, treat them with care. Design your coops accordingly. They don't need to be in a situation where they can kamikaze off of several feet high. Um, And remember, these multi-tier aviary systems are designed to keep them from, you know, jumping too far so that they don't get heel bone mm-hmm. fractures. Um, so for our small flock owners, correspondingly, you know, we don't necessarily need to have a roost that's, you know, 10 feet up, 6 feet up. Um, and, you know, they they might land hard. And it's not that we're trying to to get them to exercise or anything. It's sometimes you got to design it so that they don't hurt themselves, you know. And, and it's... A lot- and a lot of it's times, just I've noticed, sometimes they just land wrong. Correct. And I noticed also to add to that is that a lot of backyard folks, we've toured a lot of coops, don't have enough bedding for them to, to I mean, it's just like yeah. maybe it's a plywood floor, a concrete floor, or whatever, and they've got two inches of shavings on it, and that's it. And so that or landing sand. from that, or sand, right? And so that's, you know, they got a six foot roost and they're flying down to a concrete pad or even a, 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 a plywood pad the, the, and then you've got sand or like I said a, a, just two inches a little bit of just tiny little bit of shavings and it's a hard landing yep we've talked about that many a times now the second most common lesion that they came across was fatty liver that was ah. in 42 percent of the birds um then in 23 percent of the birds they just found emaciation and so the birds were just, you know, wasting away. And then the last was 22% had salpingitis. And salpingitis, if some of your listeners are new or even just uh-huh. need a refresher, that's an inflammation of the oviduct. <clears throat> so there's probably a bacterial contamination in there. Um, and <laughs> so those birds 
were were you know taken over with bacteria. Um, so you know you, you have to think about okay why were why were these birds dying and um, if they if they're hurting their bones just be aware that even in commercial industry there'll be changes on the horizon to make sure that that's less of an issue. So anything you can do now, I'm not saying go put, you know, padding, furniture pads on all of your perches, <laughs> but, you know, let's just think about, you know, that's why we have our perches that are only about 18 inches apart. So it's a pretty easy step for them. It's almost a, a, a quick hop down um, rather than, you know, a big old leap where they can land hard. You're right. Mm-hmm. Give them plenty of, of bedding to land on, and they'll do much better. So Thanks. I thought that was just super interesting. Things that I think of. I'm trying to think what our listeners would, would be wanting to ask about this time. Um, is Now, this is housing for commercial layers at 70 weeks right. old. So we're looking at about a year and a half. 65 to 70, yeah. Okay. So That's the end of their first laying cycle. Now, at that at 18 months of age, are those birds? Now, this is Norway. It may be different, but in America, and, and you'll know the answer to this. At 70 weeks old, aren't all of those layers on their way out? I mean, hey, it's time to get new flocks in here. They're starting to slow down. They're a year and a half old, it, approaching it two years. Okay, there's so a that, lot that, of economics involved in that decision making. <laughs> right. I was just a thinking lot. by the. If, if they're already getting rid of them anyway, why do the test at 70 weeks old if they're like, we're not going to do anything different because we're getting rid of them in six weeks or four Cause weeks. Because it's a different weeks, housing but. system. And, and gotcha. then, you know, in Europe, they don't have, um, you know, they don't have cage systems like they do here in parts of the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the problems that went away have come back. So it's just a revisiting. And I'm sure there will be adjustments to be made. And, you know, now that they've kind of looked at this, there will probably be slight adjustments made in, in the design of things. So, you know, it's always now, a critical eye. That's what a scientist is for, is a critical eye. I'm playing scientist. Could the first three, the heel bone fractures, the fatty heel liver, yeah. uh, and then the um, number three, we said was what, what, emaciation. Yeah, that, you said that was just poor poor nutrition just kind of well they, they fail, fail. were getting skinny so they when they did these field necropsies they couldn't identify why the bird was becoming okay. emaciation these were just field necropsies now and this so, sounds like it sounds like a job for a poultry nutritionist would or could or, or it calcium. could be internal parasites you know but it could gotcha. be something internally that, that they Got couldn't it. see okay so the you know, first three. Some of those internal parasites are microscopic. So if could changing the diet help with the first three? Uh, the heel bone fractures with more calcium, fatty liver. Uh, that really surprised me with commercial birds. It happens all the time with backyard birds over here at the poultry lab here in Georgia. People bring in backyard birds and fatty liver is, oh, my, I'm so surprised. Why? Because we've told you not to over give your treats and they're oh my gosh you were right the whole time andy but but that really really surprises me with with commercial with the fatty liver which could be the diet and then just the the thinness could maybe the first three could be helped with some well it could be fatty liver hemorrhagic syndrome 
And so it could be related to that. Not necessarily diet. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Sorry to burst your bubble. No. That's (laughs) perfectly fine. The study I have is related to diet. Um, But if pigeons came across a really interesting study that looked at um, plants, plant extracts, from uh-huh. Chinese herbal medicine. Um, they looked at astralagus, epimedium. Um, let's see, where's the other two? And so they looked at astralagus membra- bra- membranaceus, epimedium folium, or epimedii folium, lingustrum lucidum, or lingustri lucidi fructus, they looked at um, silver bublurium. You have to put the emphasis in the right syllable. <laughs> and horius cocos. And then licorice. Um, so they, they basically did a, a decoction and they, um, they got the... Um, they, they essentially filtered out the, the key components so they weren't feeding the actual plants. Um, so, you know, they, they've got um, something that they've actually got down to a more usable quantity. And what they did is they looked at giving this to pigeons and breeding pairs and the young. They were very interested in seeing... You know, did it change the production performance or the immune capacity on the birds? China, that's where this is out of, is this is um, out of China. Um, So they took 80 pairs of 11-month-old breeding pigeons, and they divided them into four groups, the control group, a group that got the herbs, um, and then they divided that it further. So, and they were putting it in the water. Okay, so half the birds were split into two groups. Some were getting normal water. Some were getting the Chinese herbs with water, and they were not restrained or stressed in any way in either one of those two groups. Other half of the birds, they gave them, in one of those groups, they gave them normal water, and then they stressed the birds by restraining them for 20 minutes. And then the last group, they gave them herbs with uh, water with herbs in it, and then they restrained them and stressed them. So, you know, were some of these birds more resilient in dealing with stress? They even took a look at um, their stress levels by looking at corticosterone and the blood. <clears throat> so, yeah. And they found that some of these herbs, they d- it did have an effect in other non-ruminants. They were looking at a bird species. And if anybody of your listeners knows anything about pigeons, um, they're monogamous and they uh, they make nests out of their own droppings. So um, 
they raise those squab for about four weeks, sometimes three weeks, three to four weeks, depending on how, how fast they grow. And they usually raise one to two chicks at a time. So, you know, it was kind of interesting to see that, um, you know, they, they looked at the stress portion. They even looked, you know, this is what they were talking about with the breeding pairs. Then with the babies, they gave the same sort of thing. Some, some babies weren't given any stress. They got normal water. Some, some of the baby squab got no stress and herbs in the water. And then the third group got, you know, restraint and normal water. And some got restraint and herbs in the water. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and they, they did actually sample these birds. Um, you know, they they did this for 43 days, um, including the incubation period for the pigeons. Um, they looked at the actual blood of the birds. Um, they looked for... Uh, they basically looked at the actual gut of the birds. Um, you know, was there any part of the gut that was affected by what they were consuming? So the height of the the lining of the gut um, or the depth of the crypts in the gut. So it was super interesting. They They even looked at the actual performance of the squab, you know, after slaughter if there was a... Um, you know, any sort of difference in carcass weight or, um, you know, the, the you know, the the way that the, the feathers were pulled out. So, yeah, they even looked at the eggshells and the laying performance of the breeders. So, in all, what they found out was there was an effect. It was, it was kind of cool. Um, so, yeah. Some of those birds were, um, you know, the the intestines basically showed that the birds that were given the Chinese herbs, you know, they they were able to kind of relieve intestinal injuries, and you know, they they had enhanced stress resistance, immunity. Um, they produce, they had better production. And they had better antioxidant capacity. Um, so they did look at the antibi- antioxidants in the birds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, you know, it, the herbs reduced weight loss during um, the time that pigeons feed their young. Because if you recall, pigeons do actually um, slough the lining of their esophagus and feed it to their young. It's kind of called a lactation, but it's not like mammalian lactation um yeah so just keep that straight (laughs) it's not really milk it's uh called pigeon milk or crop milk um so yeah it was kind of cool um sometimes you come across a thing like this and you're like hey huh this dog on so yeah i don't know where they're going to take this study next but i i wish them the best of luck and i hope the students you know find another cool study, something something maybe more chicken-related, I hope. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> with some luck. Um, all right. So the next study I wanted to chat about was, um, it was kind of a, a quick read on my part, but 
feeding strategies on H-scale quality of laying head, again, during the, the late laying period. And what they looked at um, was sometimes there's an insufficient calcium supply and um, dark periods occur for chickens during lay so that they have a, a constant supply of eggs. There's a, a dark period where the chickens can rest. And so they, they were playing around as to whether or not the if you change the feeding time, could you influence the feed consumption or the, the laying performance and therefore eggshell quality? Um, so they looked at highline brown hens, um, and they were divided into four groups, um, feeding three times a day with the control group, um, feeding once a day in the morning with the morning group, feeding once a day at noon with the noon group, and then feeding once a day in the afternoon with the afternoon group. And it doesn't affect it. <laughs> Well, but still, it was a good little study. Um, the, these feeding strategies really had no significant effect on the rate at which the chicken lays, the weight of the egg that is laid, or the overall mass of the egg that is laid. It didn't really matter what the feed intake was uh, among the treatments. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, you know, they did find a couple other small differences. Um, afternoon hens did have uh, a, a higher shell thickness, um, but it was barely statistically. I mean, it was just hardly, you know. I think they'd have to run it again to see if this was an artifact because the statistics was at 0.053 and the cutoff is 0.05. So be something that maybe there's something there Maybe not. So, yeah. Um, when you've got it that close, you always were something like that. Mm -hmm. um, the afternoon hens had lower... Yeah. yeah. So these, these are commercial layers. And mm -hmm. historically speaking, whether it be however they're raised, let's, let's throw that scenario out the window, do... Commercial layers not have access to food 24/7, or would that also depend on the type? You know, like you said, aviary or the uh, cage or or whatever. Don't uh, the the yeah. So do, do, do commercial layers have access to their feed 24/7? The feed lines run on a schedule. Okay. And so they eat what's in front of them. There may be food left over. There may not be. Depends on how hungry they are. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So there's usually a feed line that runs on a schedule, and when those feed lines run, you can vary that on a on a controller. Based on the um, – and that's what they did with the study, apparently. They said, okay, we're yeah, going to yeah. – now, this is, this is for another show, but the, the next thing that pops into my mind when we're talking about this is that – because that led to that question – I thought, you know, is that we've always for 15 years suggested that, and, and again, we try not to say the right food way, the wrong way. always be made available to the chickens. 
Exactly, and we just we really um, uh, frown on the folks that just oh I went out this morning and gave them two scoops and that's all they get for the rest of the day. So right. um, that'll be a, that'll be another show, but because that will be like well how come I've got maybe a dozen chickens, maybe I have 120, but you know that that's refrained. But yet in the commercial world they seem to do that or maybe they just the line does run frequently enough that no they're what they're doing is they're putting the exact amount out there that they know the chickens will eat so that if there's flies there's nothing for flies to land on and if there's rodents there's nothing that would call in rodents and they know how much those chickens are going to eat and they give them just the amount right and Um, they don't like so yeah because we've talked and we see that goes. Oh, there's so many questions I've got. In my head. I know. So that, so that, so that would. But see, we always, we also learn. Fifteen years, this, this show. Um, when did that, you ever get your PhD again? No, 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 no. Um, Come it's on. More, it's more, much more fun. To, great project. Much more, much more fun to have you on. So we're talking. Okay. Oh my gosh, my food's out. And now I'm stressed. We, we had a whole show on that where I'm like, okay, as soon as it's rare, but my chicken feeders run out. Then you know if I walk outside, I got 150 chickens running after me, going, "Where's my food?" So, so that <laughs> would tell me that they're like, "Oh my gosh, I have no more food." And then those they're getting stress. We got to have it. We have to have a show on that in 2023 because now we're like, in the commercial, if that if no food stresses them, then are those birds? You, you would think they wouldn't want them stressed because then they're not going to lay, and it's all about laying and how many eggs we can sell. It's just my brain's turning a million miles an hour now because on what. We taught for 15 years now. This I'll put you touch with the right behaviorist, and we'll get them on the show. Okay, I'm hey, having lunch to, with her tomorrow. Okay, and I need I need to have her write <laughs> him. I need him or her to do an article for the magazine too. We've talked about this and having a behaviorist on the yes. show. So uh, yes. I do want to do that I'm in 2023. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, next time. Okay, and then we'll. This can be All the last right. one. We'll actually may have room for a couple more. <laughs> All right, seaweed. Um, so this was looking at seaweed as a feed ingredient. And, of course, okay. you know, you see seaweed and you're like, what? Huh? Um, this was dried seaweed, of course. Um, they looked, and this was, what country was this one in? South Africa. Okay, yeah. So what they were doing is they looked at a specific kind of chicken called Boschfeld cockerels, which was a... Um, a line of chickens that is local in South Africa, changing up the diet. Um, They wanted to see how digestible the seaweed was. Did it change growth performance? Did it change any of the bird's physiology? Did it change um, any of the meat in the bird? So away they went. And they used brown seaweed, which is called Echelonia maxima. And, um, you know, it's one of those, those ingredients that, you know, it's not just because seaweed's out there and you can get it in bulk, you know, that's, it's a compound. Some people feed it. Um, so they used 225 birds that were five weeks old. Um, they basically created five different diets, a control diet that had no brown seaweed, um, Another diet that had 20, another had 40, another had 60, and the last had 80 grams per kilogram, okay? Remember, 
we're not talking, you know, pounds here. Um, so they they had this many grams per kilogram, and they were kind of feeding these graded levels, um, and they really didn't find terrible much effect. Um, there really wasn't any negatives. Um, it didn't really cause them to eat more feed or weigh a terrible bunch more. Um, they did find that um, there was a might improve feed intake, and some internal organs had a larger size, um, but no nutrients, you know, didn't cause a great effect on nutrient digestibility or growth performance or carcass uh, weight or meat quality. And so personally, I would love to run this study on, like, a broiler chick rather than an indigenous breed like Boschveld. Um, but it just might be what they had available to them for this study. Um, but I do say I think it probably opens the door for looking at, you know, you know, the sea provides could be a new ingredient. Um, so yeah, <laughs> not nothing super super special. But I was looking at it going, well, this is kind of cool. You know, it's. Um... I don't know. When you started this study, I know that there's been a lot of studies done with sea kelp, and and I think the nutritional value of, of sea kelp, which is apparently different from seaweed, I did have to Google that, um, and I was thinking, you know, the seaweed did not help chickens really in any form this or indigenous, fashion. This indigenous breed of chicken. <laughs> Right, that that one, right? So I was. It didn't like, really harm them either. But I don't, I don't ever recall seeing any type of in my history books, chickens exploring the ocean floor, looking or eating, wanting seaweed. So I mean, <laughs> to me, it makes sense. You know, I don't see a lot of chickens yearning for seaweed or wanting to go out into the ocean because they, they want that seaweed. They have to have it in their diet. And so I'm like, you know, that that just that completely makes sense to me that seaweed, you know, hundreds of feet under the ocean on the ocean floor possibly is not going to help my land bearing chickens in my backyard. I, that, I, I can agree well, with that. You know, study. you also have to look at it this way. <laughs> they only went to 80 grams per kilogram. Right. <laughs> Maybe you can include it at higher levels and make it a bigger part of the diet and then see if there's like a peak effect. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I don't know. You, you know? got to think about it that way and say, all right, maybe maybe we can keep adding more and more of this until we find just the right amount. And depending on whether or not that's cost effective, that's part of another student research project, I'm sure, down the road. Yeah. A lot of negative naysayers use that. They're like, like when we did the, um, we, yeah, like I had anything to do with it, when, when Auburn and you, you guys did the, 
the um, uh, pumpkin seed study or say the apple cider vinegar study or the and any you could take any study it doesn't matter where, wherever you grab it from and and somebody the naysayer who has already had their mind made up uh, that this particular whatever is works or is fantastic you know anybody could say well what if you would have used 25 percent more it might have worked and you don't know because you didn't do that study right. uh, it, you it have to start so overwhelming. Yeah, it just gets so overwhelming. Like, okay, somewhere. whatever. And then, of course, you are <laughs> somewhat limited by what the Institutional Can- Animal Care and Use Committee will let you do. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. You can't give them 100% of that and think <laughs> that the bird's going to be fine and people right. aren't going to let you abuse the bird. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's ethics to be concerned about. Yeah. You've shared a lot of those stories with me, and that, that was news to me. I forget how, how long ago you shared that with me. We've been working together for so long. You're like, now, wait. I was like, who is this? Yeah, there's a committee that comes in before the university does any type of this stuff. They have to come in and over, you know, look at everything to make they, sure that – They look at everything. Yeah. yeah. Including the facilities. Be... Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> It is the stuff we. That's why I love this show, folks. Poultry research translated. You can go back and look at our whole catalog over 15 years now. We can say at all the ones that Dr. McRae's done, and it's my favorite because I got my notebook and I'm sitting here thinking a mile a minute, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, how can this affect my birds right out that window and all of your birds, all of our listeners, and then I can be like, and then we can have fun with it. Like, yeah, I've never seen a chicken urine for. Seaweed. I mean, that that makes sense to me. So you know, it's not gonna, you know. But yeah, exactly. Any more for today? No, that's it. That's perfect because we got three minutes left before the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfect. Hey, what's um anything really cool going over at, at, at Auburn? Are there any kind of neat things you can share? Like, oh, hey, guess what? We've got oh, maybe yeah. this going on at that, or we have a new building that's doing Actually, this. Yeah. Or, We've got yeah. uh, a new egg cleaner um, oh. for the, the backyard flock owner that um, I'm actually going to be starting a little bit of um, research in the evenings just because I'm curious. Um, free labor for a researcher here. Um, <laughs> I want to know if it works. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Roots and Harvest has a ultrasonic egg cleaner. It's also oh. a vegetable cleaner. And I'm going to be doing um, a little research study to see how effective it is. And so, yeah. So, okay, now now my, um, my brain's working again. Ultrasonic. <laughs> so part of me is like, okay, are these eggs submerged in water? And it has some type of... It, it, You're going to oh. have to wait, Andy. Oh. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> because if you look, folks... If you go to any of these poultry supply places online or maybe even in your local store and you look at an egg cleaner that's sold in a jar or a container, most likely it's like a powder, and sometimes you pour it into a five-gallon bucket that has an air hose going into it that, you know, the air bubbles agitate the eggs, but, but yet the eggs are are soaking, they're down submerged in this water, just like the egg cleaner, like, okay, fill your sink with water, put a teaspoon of this egg cleaner in the water, and then it submerge your eggs. But then you look at all the science and all the no-nos. And yeah, like, this, is, this will sh- be chemical-free. 
that's awesome. And the, but, but then it's like, you know, you shouldn't submerge your eggs because that's going to basically uh, allow that bacteria to skin, depending on the temperature of the water. Um, you shouldn't submerge them. So it, it's just one of those things in 15 years you learn. Like you look at an egg cleaner and like submerge the eggs in the sink when put one table. I said, no, wait, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to submerge your eggs in water when you're cleaning them. Or use cold water. The water should be a temperature a little bit warmer than the egg so it doesn't contract the pores and suck bacteria in and all that kind of good stuff. So I, I can't wait to see that. That's great. We all could we could, the backyard poultry community could use better choices in egg cleaning um, if the people choose to do that. Because a million people are listening, going, "I don't have to clean my eggs because there's a bloom on the egg." Well, go to ChickenWhisperMagazine.com and look at Dr. McRae's article about um, the bloom, all about the bloom. It's titled that, and you'll realize that the bloom doesn't even cover 100% of the egg, and it doesn't actually last that long. So uh, we're just loaded with information that people may or may not want about their chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank it's you so to get much people for people thinking critically. Yeah. Critical thinking exactly. is important. Exactly. Um, well, this is great. I don't know how many. Years we've started the first show with you, Dr. McRae. It's probably a lot because you're the first Thursday of every month, so depending on how the, the week falls. But uh, this is there's probably been a whole lot in the last 15 years of years of the show that you've started and become our first guest. So thank you for kicking off 2023 with us this year, and we'll look forward to seeing you. If not... I think what I'm going to do, because you always came on like the first and third Thursdays, and then the second Thursday is uh, – Oh, we'll talk about it. Call me afterwards, and we'll talk out the details. I will. And yeah. I'm thinking I'm just going to have you on once, <laughs> once a month. Yeah, I think I'm just going to have you on once a month, and then I'm going to try to fill this the third Thursday with uh, a different show coming up for 2023. I want some of our listeners to come on the show. I want some backyarders to come on the show, some other maybe small businesses and things like that, and so we'll work on that. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate and we'll see you probably next month. All righty. Take care. Great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow, such a pleasure to have Dr. McRae on, and she's uh, fantastic. When she's not doing my favorite show, Poultry Research Translated, she'll normally have a topic like All About the Bloom or uh, the uh, – uh, all about the egg, or she talks about all the parts of an egg, or she'll talk about the digestive tract, or she'll talk about all kinds of interesting things about the chickens we have in our backyard. And you can continue to turn in, tune in uh, in 2023. If you're a longtime 15-year listener, thank you so much. If you're a new listener in the last 30 minutes, thank you very much for tuning in. If you missed any part of this live podcast, within minutes of it ending here in just a moment, uh, it'll be turned into a good old-fashioned podcast, and um, you'll be able to listen to it as many times as you want at 2 a.m., and you can go and listen to back to twelve over 1,200 episodes. So if you can't sleep at 2.30 in the morning and you want to learn all about I don't know, impacted crop to put you to sleep, then guess what? You can do that here at Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And, hey, guys, don't forget, you can sign up and subscribe totally free to our published magazine, Chicken Whisperer Magazine. All you got to do is go over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com, chickenwhisperermagazine.com, and uh, we'd love for you to subscribe because we'll email you that magazine four times a year. And also at that website, you can read every single article we have ever published in the last eight years of publishing the magazine, whether you're a subscriber or not. Fascinating information. You can always email me your questions as well, cw 
at chickenwhisperer.com. That's CW at chickenwhisperer.com. And I want to say thank you very much and Happy New Year. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.